Uh, good morning, everyone. Let's, um, let's pray, and then we will turn in our Bibles this morning. Father God, we ask that this morning that you would help us to understand your word so that we may live it faithfully before you. We ask for your blessing upon us now and, of course, the rest of our day together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So I think we'll do uh, we'll do the sword in sheath. Okay. So sword in sheath. Just remind myself. Yeah. Okay, swords in sheath, swords drawn, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, charge. Oh, there's no way you got there that quickly. Did you really get there that quickly? You've got tabs on your Bible. Okay. <laughs> You've got the cheat code. No, that's a joke. I'm just teasing. Okay, well, um, you can read Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through to uh, 7, please. Okay, but first we'll have Proverbs uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 7. I don't know, out of you two. So, I tell you what, it's Elijah's birthday, so uh, I'm going to give it to Elijah. Is that all right? Go for it, Elijah. Uh, yes, please. Verse 7. Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, I forgot what it was. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through to 7. Trust me, Lord, by your heart, and you're not leaning on your heart understanding. In all your ways, you know what you can do. Straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Excellent. Thank you. So this is part eight, and last week we looked at the order of affections, and that in order to, in order, so in order to order the affections correctly, we have to be specific, not just general. And we looked at um, at least um, what our relationship looks like with God in the specific, not in the general. Okay. So if any of if any of you need reminders of that, we can go back over it as we go through this one because this one overlaps. So here's a few questions for the children, not for the adults. The adults can answer if they want to. Um, but this question has more than one answer to it. In other words, you know, you could, could stretch it out a bit. But could any of you tell me why God would give us wisdom? Why do you think God wants us to give us wisdom? And I'll, be, I'll start the sentence so that we can, or something, Sophia. To understand his word, brilliant, that's a great answer. Okay, there's, there's more answers, so let's see if we can think of any other reasons why God would want us to have his wisdom. So to understand his word, that's a good one, any more? Tim, you're not a child, I will come back to you in a moment. Um, 
Any of the children, any of the younger people, please, Hadassah. Sorry? To glorify him, yes, we need to be able to glorify God properly. We need wisdom to do that, correct? Yeah. So you have to shout a little louder. Enjoy him forever. Okay, we're going catechism here. So it suddenly got in, didn't it? Yeah. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, any others? Now, all of these are right, by the way. You're getting nothing wrong, so it's good. But can you think of any other reasons why we need wisdom? Tim, what was you going to say? To enable us to walk in God's ways. No, to walk, to walk faithfully, yeah. To walk in God's ways, great. Okay, so we had to understand God's word, to glorify God, uh, to enjoy God, to walk in his ways. Yeah, there's lots of reasons why we need wisdom. Okay, here's the next question. Can any of you children tell me what wisdom is? This is, a, this is a much more trickier question because parents are going, well, hang on a minute. I'm not even sure I know, what we, I know what wisdom does, but I'm not sure I know what wisdom is. Anyone like to have, oh, anyone like to have a go? The beginning of the, it is the beginning of knowledge that is true and that's not a wrong answer I was looking for a different one but that one's still a good answer right I'm gonna I'm gonna try and lead you to the answer okay does God have to rely on anything outside of himself to be uh, wise does God have to turn to a book in order to be wise? No. Does God have to turn to another person in order to get wisdom? What was that? No? No. Does God need to consult the internet, Google, in order to be wise? No. So what is wisdom? Well, okay, no, it's an addition to, it's a different type of knowledge, that's right. Excellent, yeah. So, uh, knowledge is not just knowledge as in know-how, but as in the application, what to do at the right time. Very good. But what is wisdom? I was trying to lead you down the right path. If God is independent, if God doesn't need to consult a book or a person or the internet to be wise, what is God? And therefore, what is wisdom? The answer is, God is wisdom, and wisdom is God. Okay, so wisdom, and this is really, really important. This is why we read Proverbs 1, verse 7. Because unless you understand that God is wisdom... You will, f you will end up making the same mistakes that Solomon did. So let me just explain, and we're going to go through this bit by bit. So Solomon is known uh, in the Old Testament as the wisest man ever, okay? But when you look at the life of Solomon, Solomon made several foolish mistakes, didn't he? And so the question you've got to ask yourself is, 
is why did the wisest man on earth, so-called, uh, ended up end up being one of the most foolish men on earth? Anybody know that one? So how can a man who was given so much wisdom from God, okay, and was referred to as the wisest man, also be the same man who made so many foolish mistakes? Go for it. Yeah, that, that, is, that is true. I can't, I can't argue with that because that is true. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is the reason why Solomon was foolish even though he had wisdom is because his wisdom was rendered ineffectual because of his, divide, his divided heart. You see, wisdom is God. Wisdom is God. God is wisdom in that sense because God doesn't have to depend on something outside of himself to be wise and therefore God is wisdom just like he is truth, he is love. Yes? And therefore when you have a divided heart you render the wisdom you are given ineffectual because it's a relationship issue, it's not a knowledge issue. Okay, so we tend to think that wisdom is like learning something out of a book which you can then apply in X, Y, and Z. But biblical wisdom never works like that. The way biblical wisdom works is that it is rendered ineffectual the moment your heart is divided and you go in a separate direction to God. And so if you want to be wise, then you have to keep a close and clean walk with the one who is wisdom. Because the moment you separate yourself, the moment you have a divided heart like Solomon did, you then up making mistakes. And then it becomes explainable how the most wisest person on earth could be the most foolish. Because the wisdom's rendered ineffectual because of his divided heart. Does that make sense? So as we look at wisdom today, I want you to try and remember some of the things that we've already learned, especially about the ordering of affections, especially about temptation, about how all of those things work, because it really doesn't matter how much wisdom God gives you, if your heart is then divided, you render all of that wisdom ineffectual. And Solomon is the best case example to be able to see that pattern over and over and over again. So does that make sense? So if we read um, just Proverbs 1, we can, we can see it, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so we see the division there. Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's a, re that's a relational issue. And the fools... The fool is the one who has said in his heart there is no God. So there's a division there. Um, the fool is the one who despises wisdom and instruction. So there's the division. So here's the next question. Children only, if, it's, if that's okay. Who can tell me... There are two answers to this, generally. Who can tell me what it means to fear the Lord? So if I said to you, okay, you're all listening to this, a Bible study, and I said, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and you want wisdom. Okay, how do you know how to get it if you don't know how to fear the Lord? Okay? So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Anybody want to have a go at that one? To fear the Lord. Anyone? Two? Okay. So do you think, do you think that God is someone uh, that we should fear? So we're all like, I, th- I think so. No, no, you really should fear God. Now, here's the thing. Because of Jesus Christ, you have no reason to fear God. In fact, nobody wants to meet God without Jesus. That is the most fearful thing in the world, to come face to face with God in the future without knowing Jesus. That is the most fearful thing. Because can you, can you think what it would feel like to fall into the hands of the living God? Who created all things, who can bring all things to their end. You know, Jesus tells us, don't fear the person who can just destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy, destroy both body and soul. You know, Jesus is showing us just how much more we should fear God. Okay, do you think that that is what's meant by the fear here in Proverbs, that we should fear God in that way. Yes or no, maybe? Well, a little bit. We should fear God because he can do all of those things. But let me give you another example. I want you to think of um, someone you love, which won't be hard because we've all got families here, so you can think of your mum and your dad and your brothers and your sisters. What do you think it would be like if you feared like really feared offending the person you loved. Just think about that for a moment. So fearing the one that you love, how do you think that would shape your behavior? Because now you're constantly thinking about everything you're going to say, everything you're going to do, everywhere you go, because you don't want to, you don't want to offend the relationship. Okay? And because you don't want to offend the relationship, you are constantly living in fear of offending the one that you love, which is not a bad fear. It's actually a very good fear. Because now we're thinking and, and loving in a way that is always taking the other person into consideration. Does that make sense, anyone? I just need a few sort of indicators of whether or not I'm actually making any sense. Does that make sense? Oh, good. Oh, good. So we can fear the Lord because he's great and powerful, but we should also fear offending the one that we love because that's the relational, relational issue here. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You should fear him because he's great and powerful and you should fear offending him in anything that you think, say or do. And when you live that way, that is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. You're putting yourself in the right place to receive the wisdom of God. And as James says in James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom and you want wisdom, then you ask God and God will give it to you. So you just ask him and he will give it to you. But notice the person that he gives it to. Okay, it's not the double-minded man unstable in all his ways who's 
if and in am and in toing and froing. It's the person who is really seeking God for God. Not even seeking anything from God, but just seeking God for God. And then out of that relationship, wisdom is then given. And then, as rightly stated earlier, wisdom then allows us to apply life properly. And so wisdom in Proverbs is always shaped in the context of skillful or even masterful living. So imagine a moment. Um, there was once a book written, I can't remember who wrote it. Um, and it was saying that it was based on the principle that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at anything. And then someone else wrote a book saying that you can do it in four. I'm like, I really don't think that if it takes 10,000 hours to do one thing, you can reduce it to four. Because the type of wisdom that attaches itself is accumulative in the sense that <clears throat> you can understand um, certain things and patterns in life, especially as you look at people's lives. Because believe it or not, people are not that different. Okay, they all struggle with sin. They all need Christ, or they all either have Christ. And so you begin to see things that are really quite clear. And so, <clears throat> you, sorry, you begin to see things quite clearly that are not always clear when you have wisdom. And so wisdom is the skill to live life faithfully, like really faithfully, really skillfully. And so imagine the man, okay, in the church who's very old, He's got a head full of gray hair, and his life, according to most people in the world, is very boring. Okay, he hasn't done much, he hasn't seen much, he hasn't gone many places, he hasn't done many things, he hasn't got himself into any kind of big sinful troubles, he's just lived a quiet and peaceable life, and he gets to the end of his life, and then he goes to glory. And we would think, well, that man's got nothing to teach us because he hasn't experienced anything. On the contrary, he could, he's probably the best person to tell us how to avoid certain dangers. So we tend to think the people we can learn the most from are those who have had the most mixed and messed lives, a life full of experiences. And that's, sometimes that's true, but it's not always true. And John Stott, does anyone know John Stott, the Anglican vicar that was... John Stott, uh, he never married, as you know, and John Stott wrote several books, uh, including commentaries on Ephesians, where you've got the big chapter, uh, and chapters five into six, where you've got you know, marriage and family and work and relationships and the armor of God and, and that. And he was, he was told by one person that he couldn't counsel married couples because he himself hadn't been married. And... <clears throat> And in one sense, there were probably some things that he couldn't relate to because he was never married. But what was actually being said by the statement was that we need something in addition to God's word to be helped. And that's not true. Okay, that's just not true because God's word and God's wisdom is able to give you everything that you need to live life skillfully. So I want you to understand that the, the experiences that God has given you will shape your future. 
will shape your future because you're more aware of perhaps dangers and that if indeed you live a close and clean life walk with God. If not, like Solomon, and you have a divided heart, then you just make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again because your heart's divided. Does that make sense? So listen to this quote, if you will, from um, Charles Hodge. And Charles Hodge says this, it may be highly useful or even necessary, just as violent remedies are often the only means of saving life, but such remedies are not the ordinary and proper means of sustaining and promoting health. I think that is genius on every level, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you listen to God's wisdom and you follow God's wisdom, then less drastic action needs to be taken over your life. But the moment you have to take drastic measures is because something has got out of control. And so what you do, what you do in an emergency is not what you do in ordinary life. And so there's a difference between emergency measures what you need to do now compared to what you would normally do to promote health, generally speaking. Does that make sense? So I'll give you an example. Children, when you grow up and mum and dad say to you, look, it's best that you don't do that now, okay? Or can you leave that to later? And they've not given you every reason why because it would be too much to explain just in the five minutes, okay? And so mum and dad says, just don't do that. <clears throat> but you then go ahead and do it. And let's say, let's say it's, um, you run across the road, for instance. Okay. And whatever it may be. And as you trip and fall, now the issue is greater. So what do you do now? Okay. Well, now mum and dad has to pick you up. They have to take you perhaps to the hospital. They then have to bandage you up. Right? So the emergency measure uh, could have been avoided if the ordinary means of just listening and doing were followed. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense? Okay. So I want you to think, so have any of you children said to your mum and dad, your mum or your dad even, um, when I asked to do this earlier, uh, when you asked me to do this earlier, you know, you didn't want to do it. Um, and then later in the day, you come back to mum and dad and say, can I do that now? Can I do that now? And mum and dad says, well, no, it's, t it's too late. It's too late to do that now. And you go, but you promised. But you promised I could do that. And how many times, okay, you don't have to admittedly open, uh, admit to this, but how many times has your mum and dad given you time to do something and you didn't do it, and then when you wanted to do it, there was no longer time to do it and you got upset? Anybody? Yeah, me. And so this is the difference between listening, paying attention, enjoying the relationship you have with your mum and dad, and then being divided, no, I want to do this instead, or I want to do that instead. And so what wisdom does 
is that wisdom promotes skillful living so that you can avoid emergency measures. Does that make sense? And whenever divisions in the heart happens, and as a pastor, uh, I've seen this over and over again, I'm often called in when the, it's at the emergency measure stage. Whereas if I was called in perhaps near the beginning just to promote the normal means of ordinary walk with God, the emergency measures could have been avoided. Does that make sense? And so this is what wisdom does. It sort of steadies the ship over a long course so that what you plant today will bear fruit in the future. It's not, it's not instant, it's sort of more of a way of life. And so we go back to this idea that wisdom is not a knowledge that you can just refer to because it is rendered ineffectual the moment your heart is divided from God. You just can't act wisely. And Solomon's the best example of that because he was given so much wisdom and he rendered all of that wisdom ineffectual because his heart was divided. Do, do you see that? Does that make sense? Okay, well, here's another thing then, just to, just to think about before we go to a couple of um, questions. Who said, um, who said, it was Sophia, you said that, that wisdom allows us to understand God's word, didn't you, at the very beginning, which is right. Now, God's word is what? It is life to us, isn't it? It is the life-giving word. It is the thing that creates. And therefore, God's word is able to bring things into existence that do not currently exist in terms of our relationship with God and in terms of relationship with each, with each other. And so I don't want you ever to think that God's word, like wisdom, is somehow a just a book that we can refer to like a dictionary or like an encyclopedia. Okay, it doesn't work like that. The Bible will not work like a reference book. Okay, and don't be... I, I, I really believe that God can lead people, but I would never encourage you to sort of just, just sort of do this. Lord, speak to me, because you could end, it's just not a wise way of asking God to, to speak, because you're trying for a quick fix method rather than cultivate a lifelong relationship with God. Okay, so the way wisdom works is not in these sort of, right, I need, I need to find a reference note here, I need to hang on to something, right? The way wisdom works is that you ask God for it, and the way that it functions is when you walk a close and clean life with God. And the moment your heart is divided, all of that wisdom that God has given to you is rendered ineffectual. And you just look at the life of Solomon over and over again. That when he acts wisely, he's close to God. And when he acts foolishly, his heart is divided between God and other things or other people. Over and over again, you see this, you see this happening. And so, God's word is life. And so, as you, as you come to God's word, what you're receiving is not, not dry knowledge, but actually life-giving sort of power to live 
the life that God wants you to live. And I'll finish with this before we come to a couple of questions. In Proverbs chapter 6, you can turn there if you want. Too far. I'll just read these few words. My son, this is uh, verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have, uh, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are a snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. So we immediately have this sense of urgency. But notice what he says in verse, uh, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked person, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond all healing. Okay, and the point here that is being made is that nothing happens all of a sudden. Where did that come from? Okay, nothing happens all of a sudden. Whatever happens in your life, obviously, if you're walking across the road and a car is speeding, that's not something that you can necessarily prepare for because that's not him. But if you look at it from the driver's point of view and he's speeding and then he eventually knocks someone over, well, that doesn't happen all of a sudden. He's been speeding for a long time. And so eventually, uh, you know, someone's going to get hurt. And what Proverbs 6 shows us is that eventually the borrower is always at the mercy of the lender. It's possible to get yourself into a position that you can, no, you can no longer get yourself out of. That you're constantly at the mercy of all of these other things that you have sort of brought upon yourself. And so the way to avoid them going forward, okay, is to understand firstly, nothing happens all of a sudden. Nothing happens all of a sudden. So good things come to you in the same way seed time and harvest does. But so does uh, things that are not good either. They come to you as seed time and and harvest as well. And so if you sow good, you reap good. If you sow bad, eventually you'll reap that bad. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will also reap. Nothing happens all of a sudden. And so for you adults, for instance, if you're finding certain things happening in your life now and you're wondering where that came from, Well, you might need to look back a few years to understand what was sown or what has not been sown. Okay, because nothing nothing turns around 
immediately. And this is, this is what wisdom shows us, because wisdom is cultivating faithfulness in relationship with God. It's that slow, continual movement of skillful living. So wisdom's not a thing that we turn to. Wisdom is something that we have that can be rendered useless if we have a divided heart. Does that make sense? So remember, wisdom is not a book. It is God. Wisdom is God. And wisdom works when you walk a close and clean life with God. Does anyone want to... We've got like two minutes or three minutes to pose a few questions. All good? Yeah? Oh, oh, Jeremiah, okay, go for it. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it as a division, put it that way, yeah. So wisdom is, because wisdom involves the word of God, it is therefore God in that sense. But God has described his love. He's never described his wisdom um, throughout scripture. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So in that sense. But God has never strictly described his wisdom. And so what I would say is the, you can understand that wisdom is God by understanding that God is independent. Because if God has to rely on something outside of himself to be wise, then wisdom cannot be God and God cannot be independent. So once you understand that wisdom comes from God, God therefore must be wise as well, which is part of the Logos. Okay, let me pray. Father God, we thank you that true wisdom comes from you because it is you. It comes from above because you are above. And we would ask, Father God, this morning that we would be a people filled with your wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.